Good morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Ezekiel, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burn with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners. Right before you, the late waste is when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in blood of bulls, and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, 
I hide my eyes from you. Even when you're offering many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her. But now murderers. Your city, sorry, your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. And they all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless, and the widow's case does not come before them. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel, declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross. And remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterwards, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be delivered with justice and her penitent ones with righteousness. But... Rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted, and you will be disgraced because of the gardens that you've chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tinder, and his work as a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. Thanks, Joe, and good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, I'm one of the, the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. It's great to be here together as we kick off a new book in the Bible together. Uh, well, back in 1993, there was an Aboriginal footballer by the name of Nicky Winmar who was playing for a team called St Kilda, and um, uh, he was playing in an AFL game, and he'd spent the whole game getting... Um, racially abused by by supporters, uh, and as he as he walked off the ground, um, he he lifted up his guernsey to the to the crowd and and, and pointed proudly at the colour of his skin, uh, and it became this this iconic moment that kind of went beyond just football fans. There was this, this line in the sand moment, which really set the course for um, for racism being taken more seriously, uh, not just in the football community but but beyond as well. Uh, a few weeks ago, the 30-year anniversary of this moment was 
commemorated, but it was but it was soured by news reports that had broken out in, in the weeks leading up of AFL Aboriginal players today who are, who are still being the targets of racism. Uh, and it just highlights that even when we recognise the, the brokenness in the world that we live in, uh, we can't seem to solve it. In fact, ironically, it was all the, all the technological advances that, that have happened over the last 30 years actually enabled um, some of the racism to, to happen even more easily. Even when we recognise the brokenness, we just can't seem to deal with it. Uh, we see that as well with the, the Ukraine invasion. We, we see it with internal fighting going on in Sudan and, and Myanmar and, and all other places in the world. Um, we see it with our, our disagreements on, on how to respond to issues like climate change. Uh, and it makes you wonder, doesn't it, where is the hope for real, lasting, positive change in the world that we live in? Uh, well, the book of Isaiah shows us where our true hope lies. Um, the book of Isaiah, is, it's all about how a faithless, immoral, deteriorating city is going to be transformed into a, a faithful, prosperous, and eternal city. And it's not going to be the, the cleverness or the, or the goodness of people that, that makes this transformation happen. All right, so before we dive into Isaiah, we'll just quickly get our bearings for um, where Isaiah fits into the Bible as a whole. This is, this is my very high-tech Bible timeline that you can see over here, all the way from creation to, to new creation at the end when Jesus returns. It's not to scale or anything, so don't read too much into when the end of the world is happening. Um, the, the first, so Isaiah is kind of split into, into two halves, and, and the first half of Isaiah is set during Isaiah's lifetime. So it's kind of like a 50-year a period beginning around 740 BC. Uh, and this is about a century before the southern kingdom of Israel goes into exile. Uh, and then the second part of Isaiah is set uh, later on. It's, it's set, um, it's, it's written to people who were living uh, during the exile and then after the exile as well. Uh, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the first six chapters of Isaiah. So in that, in that earlier Period And over the next few years, we're going, to, we're going to be coming back to Isaiah in, in various chunks and, and covering the rest of the book. Um, so, so what was life like in Israel around the time Isaiah was writing? Well, as you can imagine, in some ways, very different to 21st century Adelaide at the moment, although there were similarities as well. Uh, so a monarch who had just ruled for over half a century and, and had a, and been a great figure of stability had just died. Uh, there was a, a big, powerful nation to the north that was causing smaller countries to seek strategic alliances to, to protect their national security. And it was a society where the poor were poor, the rich were rich, and the gap was getting bigger between them. Now, Isaiah begins his ministry, as you can see on the, the timeline here, just after the death of a king called Uzziah. Uh, now, Uzziah had had a long reign in the, the southern kingdom of Israel, which was called Judah. Um, for those of you who were here last year when we did our One King series, you'll remember that the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel had, had split apart. Uh, and Isaiah lived in the southern kingdom of Israel, which, which had enjoyed quite a, quite a stable, quite a prosperous time uh, while Uzziah was king. Um, but there were uncertain times 
ahead. Uh, so we have a look at a map of the region. You can see that Jerusalem is just to the just the northeast of Egypt there. Um, but then further northeast, you've got this big country called Assyria. And, and Assyria was quickly becoming the dominant nation in the world at that time. Uh, so in 722 BC, Assyria invaded Israel. You can see Israel there and its capital, Samaria, um, just next to Jerusalem there, um, and completely destroyed the whole northern kingdom of Israel. So that was obviously a big thing going on at that time. Uh, then a few years later, so around 701 BC, Assyria ripped through the southern kingdom as well, and, and they laid siege uh, to the capital city, Jerusalem. Uh, and we, we read in um, chapter 1, verse 7 there, we, we kind of get this picture of what this, what this time was like. Um, God says to them, your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown with strangers. You you can sense the horror of this situation, can't you? And it's clear as we we read through Isaiah that that these things are happening as punishment for for God's people rejecting him. And um, chapter 1 of Isaiah kind of it's a bit of a prologue for the book as a whole. It kind of sets the picture for the whole book. Um, it, it introduces us to the, the faithless city of Jerusalem that, that's existing right then. It um, points us to a faithful city that, that God is going to create one day. And it, and it also shows us what's needed for this faithless city to become the faithful city as well. Um, but, but to start off, it, it shows us the faithless city, it shows us just how far the city of Jerusalem has fallen. Um, Isaiah begins the book with, with God kind of presenting his case against his people. And we, we picked up these verses just before in the All Ages spot. Um, God describes the people of Israel as his children who have rebelled against him. Um, they, they don't know him. They don't understand him the way that they're supposed to. Uh, verse 4, the accusations continue. Um, they're a sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, evildoers, uh, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. They've turned their backs on him. And as we, we keep reading on throughout chapter 1, we, we see that Jerusalem is described as a city of murderers, a city where the powerful take advantage of the widows and the fatherless. Um, this is a city who, who have turned their backs on God. They've rejected his ways. They still, they still look kind of religious on the outside. They, they still pray. They still celebrate festivals. They still make sacrifices. Uh, but we see that God doesn't take any pleasure in it. In fact, God hates it because he knows that it's, it's empty. It's insincere. It doesn't line up with the rest of their lives. And in fact, it's a challenging reminder for us as well today that God doesn't just want us looking really polished and impressive on the outside. Uh, So going to church, serving on a ministry team, going to community group during the week, these are great things to be doing. Um, But living for God isn't just something that we do for a couple of hours on a Sunday and a couple of hours on a Wednesday night. It's meant to be all of life. 
Uh, the ultimate insult comes in verse 10, when, when God likens the people to Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities uh, that are famous in the Bible for their immorality. Um, the, the closest comparison today would probably be calling someone a Nazi or, or, or something like that. Uh, and so God says, God says to, to this faithless city of Jerusalem, there are, there are two ways to live. There are two ways to live. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. Good things will happen. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. So basically, obey God and prosper or resist God and be destroyed. And it becomes, sadly, more and more clear as we, as we read on through Isaiah that the people of Jerusalem, God's people, have chosen to, to reject God. They've chosen to face his judgment. Uh, in fact, we see later on in Isaiah that God is actually really generous to them. Um, he, he shows incredible mercy by sparing them from the Assyrian army. He stops the nation of Assyria from destroying them. But God's judgment is going to come a century later from another big country called Babylon, uh, which eventually is going to bring about God's full judgment on this city. Uh, so it's pretty bleak so far, but there is hope in Isaiah. There's a, a promise of transformation. The faithless city is going to become the faithful city. Um, just have a look at the contrast between verses 21 and verse 26 of chapter 1. So verse 21, um, see how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. It's a pretty, pretty depressing picture. Um, but, but there's hope to come. Just a few verses later, God promises this. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning, and afterward you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So can you see the faithless city is going to become the faithful city. And this is the note that the whole book of Isaiah ends on. So, so fast forward another 65 chapters and this is where we end up uh, with, with God saying, I'm going to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem. I'll take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. And if that language sounds kind of familiar to you as you hear it, it's because it was actually picked up in the, the New Testament reading that we had this morning from the book of Revelation, which is right at the end of the Bible, giving, giving a picture of what heaven will be like, what, what God's final city will be like. And so the book of Isaiah is all about how this corrupt and, and seemingly broken city of Jerusalem is going to become this this perfect, joyful city without end. Um, it's confronting, though. It's confronting because not everyone is going to see this new city. Uh, the last couple of chapters of Isaiah, which we'll, we'll get to in a, in a few years' time, I'm sure, they, they draw out this contrast between those who are going to be part of this new, faithful, perfect city and those who are going to perish. And we see a bit of this in chapter 1 as well. Uh, so Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, Zion will be delivered with justice. Um, but rebels and sinners will both be broken. Those who forsake the Lord will perish. 
so this, this faithful city is going to be for everyone who has chosen to follow God. Anyone who rebels against him isn't going to enter. There's no third option that Isaiah gives us here. There's no neutral response to God. We either follow him or we reject him. So then, the question is, how does, how does the faithless city become the faithful city? How does the transformation of this city take place? And the answer is that it happens by God dealing with sin. Uh, verse 18 there in Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Uh, so these, these sins that have, that have stained the city are, are going to be washed clean. Uh, but for this cleansing to happen, judgment is needed. And we see that a few, a few verses later. God says, I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. Uh, dross is the name given to all the kind of impure substances that get burnt out and, and, and boiled out when pure gold and pure silver are being produced. So it's kind of like the the, the scrap metals on the side. And, and, and so the image here is of this city being cleansed and purified through the judgment that's going to come their way. And, and this is a big theme that we're going to keep coming back to throughout the book of Isaiah, that, that salvation can only come through judgment. Uh, the sinful city can only be made clean by God pouring out his judgment. And um, fast forward a few years from when Isaiah is written, and, and we see that this promise of God comes at least partly true at that time. Um, so as I said before, the southern kingdom gets taken into exile uh, by Babylon. There's a group of survivors that, that make it back to the land eventually after the exile, and they, they worship God in the land again. But even then, the, the city isn't truly clean. There's a, there's a change that's happened, but the city isn't truly clean. This, this problem of sin still exists. There are still problems of, of corruption and other, other bad things in the city. And this judgment of God's people that Isaiah is talking about in his day is, is actually pointing even further to another judgment that's to come. And, and we see a bit of this in the book of Isaiah where, where it's, it's talking about things that are going to happen in the short term, but there's also a view to things that are going to happen longer term as well. It, it's kind of like walking through a, a mountain range where you can see kind of tall mountains sort of close to you, but there's even bigger mountains in the background as well. Isaiah has these, these multiple horizons uh, that we see as we go. And, and this judgment that's going to happen on God's people in the short term, is pointing to another judgment that's to come even later. A judgment that will properly deal with the guilt of God's people. And that was the judgment that God poured out on his son, Jesus, on the cross 700 years later. Jesus was, was taking on himself the punishment that, that each one of us deserves for all the things that we've got wrong for all the ways that we've rejected and disobeyed God in our lives. So that 
instead of perishing, we can be citizens of this faithful city forever. Um, So that's the big question of Isaiah. How does this faithless city become the faithful city? How does that transformation happen? How can sinful people be, be transformed into the faithful, obedient people of God? And the answer that Isaiah points us to is that it's only by the blood of Jesus. It's only through God's judgment poured out on his son instead of on me. And as we dig into Isaiah over the next few weeks and over the next few years as we come back to it, we're going to see that there are lots of different ways that it connects to our day-to-day life. Um, but as we kick off in chapter 1, there are, there are three things that, that stand out from this overview of Isaiah um, that it gives us. Um, and the first one is that we need to take both sin and salvation very seriously. Um, you know, a group of people this size, we're, we're all going to have different backgrounds, we're all going to be at, at um, different places in, in how we think about God. Uh, maybe you see God as being like a bit of a policeman, right? Someone, someone who's just standing there watching you, waiting for you to, to break the rules so he can, he can get the handcuffs out and punish you. Uh, the picture that Isaiah gives us in the first couple of verses here of, of God is, is very different to that. He pictures God as a broken-hearted father whose children have rejected him and rebelled against him despite all that he's done for them. Um, which, which shows us, doesn't it, that, that sin is more than just breaking the rules. Sin is more than just breaking the rules. It's deeply relational. It's rejecting the God who knows and loves us. In fact, sin is such a serious thing that, that God, out of love, would, would send disaster to bring his people to their senses. Um, as we read in, in verse 5 just before, God, God says to his people, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. These aren't the words of a a cruel God who just wants to punish his people more and more. This is a God who wants his people to recognize the problem and turn back before it's too late. We need to recognize what our sin is and we need to recognize as well what it costs to deal with our sin. See, it's not just a case of God ignoring our sin and, and laughing it off and forgetting about it. Because that would be unjust of God to do that. And, and, and I think we know that intuitively, that, it, that it's not right for, for things that are wrong just to, be, just to be laughed off and forgotten about. Only judgment can deal with sin. Only judgment can bring salvation. It took God's Son suffering and dying to wash me clean. And if we believe that, if we, if we really truly believe that, then it, then it guards us from being flippant about sin, doesn't it? Um, you hear really, really moving stories from time to time about people who have um, received organ donations. Um, so, so people whose lives are, are saved by receiving an organ from, from someone who's died. And that, that's not my story. I, I find that really hard to imagine what that would be like. That, I find that really incredible to, to comprehend. Um, 
knowing that, that someone's death is the reason that you're alive. But if our trust is in Jesus, then that's our story. That is our story. His death has paid for our sin. It's given us true life. And so we need to take sin and salvation very seriously. And we're going to have a chance to do that in a few moments' time as we celebrate communion together afterwards. Um, Secondly, Isaiah shows us that we need to take heaven and hell seriously. Isaiah doesn't promise a rosy ending for everyone. And, And he's upfront about it. Some people will rejoice in this new city forever. Others will perish. And the words of Isaiah set us up for the difficult teachings about heaven and hell that, that Jesus will bring one day, will, will bring later on. There's a heaven which will be glorious beyond imagination. And then there's a hell which will be beyond awful. And the Bible is really clear about this. The Bible is never ashamed of this at all. God is perfectly just. No one is going to end up in hell unfairly it's it's simply god giving people over to their decision to reject him and so we need to take heaven and hell seriously we need to do that for our own sake and we need to do that for the sake of of the people around us as well because everyone is going to end up in one of those two places and now ultimately god is in sovereign control of this but but he uses us as well he gives us opportunities uh, and one of those opportunities that haunts me still is, is a guy that I used to work with in, in engineering years ago who um, died of a heart attack um, while I was work- not while I was working with him, but, but in, that, in that time period. Um, this is a guy who, as far as I know, wasn't a follower of Jesus. And uh, when he died, I, I remembered that a few months earlier, I'd been in the car with him, just, just me and him in the car driving somewhere for, for half an hour. And I can't remember what we talked about, but... I'm pretty sure that it wasn't Jesus. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't me telling him how he could be saved. Now, would he have bowed down to God in that moment and repented if I'd brought it up in conversation? Probably not. Who knows? But it was an opportunity that I missed in that moment. It's an opportunity I'm not going to get back with him. We, we would warn someone if they were climbing a dodgy ladder or going outside on a hot day without sunscreen, standing too close to a main road, walking near a slippery floor or, or any other sort of danger. Hell should motivate us to share the gospel. And in fact, heaven should as well. They're, they're both really, really important realities. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't quite feel like you've got your head around um, sin, Jesus, heaven, hell, all that sort of thing. Uh, You're not quite sure whether you understand it or or whether you believe it or not. If that's you, then we've got an event kicking off tomorrow night. It's called Life. Uh, It's four Monday nights where we explore what life with Jesus is all about. Um, It's a chance to to hear what the Bible says about um, following Jesus. It's a chance to ask any questions at all that you've got. It's a chance just to enjoy some food and some drink and at the end of it, you've got the opportunity to decide for yourself what, what you think about Jesus, what life with Jesus would mean for you. Anyone's welcome to come. If you've got a friend who wants to come, you're welcome to come along with them. Um, please have a chat to me afterwards if, if that's something you're interested in or, or something that you'd like 
more details about. Um, so finally, Isaiah remind, reminds us to put our hope in the gospel to redeem our broken world. Um, when, you, when you stop for a moment and, and you think about the world that we live in and, and the problems that we face, I wonder, where do you think the solution lies for our world? What, what is it, you think, that's going to make the world a better place? Uh, maybe it's advances in technology. Uh, maybe it's better education. Maybe it's urgent climate action. Maybe it's uh, inclusivity. Maybe it's democracy. Maybe it's money. Now, all of those things are capable of bringing about good in the world. Um, but if one thing is clear in the book of Isaiah, it's that humanity simply cannot produce the transformation that's needed. Sin is too big a problem for us. And it's not just Isaiah either. Human history bears witness to this over and over again. Wars keep on happening. Inequality keeps on happening. Poverty keeps on happening. Evil keeps on happening. We just find smarter ways to make it happen. Our true and only hope is in the new city that God has promised. The the faithful, purified, everlasting city that he's made possible by the righteous judgment that he's poured out on his own son so that we don't have to face it ourselves. Let's pray. Our just and faithful God, we, we come before you as imperfect people in a fallen world. We're sorry for the, the ways that we rebel against you in our lives. We acknowledge that our sin deserves your judgment. And so we thank you that Jesus has taken that judgment on himself so that we can be everlasting citizens of the new faithful city that you've promised. And we thank you that in Jesus we truly are washed clean. We pray that you'd help us as we await that day to take both our sin and your salvation seriously, to know the eternal gravity of heaven and hell, and to trust in you alone to restore your broken world. Amen.